0: This is Move to Miami, real estate, lifestyle, family. I'm your host, Adam Zeifer.
1: And I'm your host, Amber Berger. We are Miami natives and the brother-sister duo behind the Zeifer Berger team.
0: We wanna take you behind the scenes of different neighborhoods that comprise South Florida's largest real estate boom, especially where we grew up in, Battle Harbor, Bay Harbor Islands, and Surfside. You'll learn the ins and outs of real family life in Miami.
1: From the schools to the parks the different communities demand per area development opportunities traffic tips city governance and more hi adam
0: hey amber how are you
1: i'm good it's just us today we're gonna talk about the buying process
0: my specialty
1: yes it is i have many questions for you i think this will be really helpful for first-time buyers You want to give a shout out to our sister who is possibly thinking about moving to Florida. Do it. (laughs) And she came to us with many questions and we were sort of taken back by how many things that she needed to learn. So we felt like, well, she needed to learn some stuff. We want to help others as well. So. When thinking about moving, what is the first thing that you need to do before you even start looking at properties?
0: So everybody has a different way of going about the buying process. Uh, For myself, I think number one, if you have kids and we tend to speak to mostly families, um, you know, the school, priority number one, we have a client looking to move here, actually just got their kids into school. So they will be moving here from California. Just like with them, the first thing was school. What school are my kids going to go to? You know, based off that school, then you could kind of figure out what's my everyday life going to be. Do I want to drive 30 minutes to drop off my kids at school? Is there a bus service? Where does the bus service offer you know, to pick up the kids and drop off the kids. So for me personally, I always tell my clients, I said, figure out where your kids are going to school based off of that. Then we could work backwards and see, Okay, fine, what areas are going to be best for you?
1: I actually have some Mm -hmm. interesting advice to share that actually my neighbors shared with me. And I wish I thought like this when I was looking at different neighborhoods. Um, So, of course, if you have a family and you have kids that are school age, you know, school is a perfect starting point. But if you maybe don't have kids or even if you do and you really want to get the feel for a neighborhood, I think a great way to explore is to rent a bike and actually bike around the different neighborhoods. And my neighbor did this and I thought that was genius. I never would have thought it because I think walking is great, but you can't actually see that much of a neighborhood in a walk because it could take you too long. But what would be really fun is take a bike and go neighborhood by, by neighborhood on a weekend and see who is out walking their dog. Are there families? Are there even people around? You know, I personally live in Miami Shores and one of the things that you really get a sense of is community when you come into the neighborhood. And my cousins used to live near us and they moved to Boca and they came back to visit. And she said, you know what? I didn't realize how many people walk on the streets all the time. Like, is this like new or more people walking? I'm like, no, you're just not used to it because you've been in Boca. Maybe your neighborhood, they're not walking around. But all the time they're walking around and you really feel a connection to your community so i think biking around a neighborhood in order to decide which neighborhood may be your best fit is a great way to get a feel of the area
0: oh i totally agree and as you are the ying to my yang uh you like to bike instead <laughs> uh i go for the golf cart so that works for too. all of our clients that are looking at bow harbor bay harbor islands or surfside Uh, We offer a free golf cart ride. They could hop on my golf cart. I could show them the three towns and really give you that perspective of, as you said, what you get from a bike. When you're in a car, it's kind of hard to get a feel of the area. It's much better when you're walking or biking or on the golf cart, um, you just feel closer and more connected to that area. So, um, I think that is a good suggestion.
1: So when you're looking to buy in a certain neighborhood, say you've already kind of figured out the neighborhood you like, or you have two neighborhoods that you're interested in, what would you say? For somebody who is a serious buyer, they're done with sort of looking and they're ready to purchase. And in this, you know, current market, especially in South Florida, it's very competitive. And when a good house hits the market, people know it and offers come in. So what would help a first time buyer be prepared to engage in this process?
0: Oh, well, the first thing that you have to do is you have to talk to either a lender, mortgage broker, uh, your personal bank, or maybe you have money in the bank yourself and you know what your budget is, but basically you need to know how much you can afford. We've had clients in the past that really fell in love with the house. We showed it to them two times. They said, Okay, fine, I'm ready to put in that offer. And we said, Okay, can you afford it? They said, um, don't know. How do I how am I supposed to know? you know, if I can. And so that's why we tell everybody, please go get pre-approved. It's not a difficult process. This way kind of gives you a much better idea of what your carrying costs will be month into month out, how much money you have to put down. Uh, There are uh, great first-time homebuyer offers out there as well. So when you're speaking to your professional who might be your local bank or the mortgage uh, agent, they could help you out and let you know what would be best for you.
1: Now, I agree. Having a pre-approval letter is essential. Say you're new to this process. Where do you find a mortgage lender? How do you even know who to use?
0: So any good real estate agent is going to have a list of different lenders. We refer out to many different people. We never refer only one person. Uh, that could come and bite us in the ass a little bit. So uh, we try not to do that. There's many people out there in the market. Sometimes you wanna find somebody that actually their personality meshes with you. We have some that are a little bit like a pit bull. They're great, they'll get the job done, but they may be a little bit you know, too harsh in their personality for you. So you wanna find somebody that you get along with, somebody that's very knowledgeable in the process, Somebody that's very knowledgeable in the area that you're looking to purchase. Um, I could tell a story actually. We had a client that was looking to purchase a condo in Bay Harbor Islands. Now this condo was a fairly new condo and it was still owned uh, by the developer. Didn't go over to the association yet. The developer still owned more than 50% of the units. So what happens is that's a little tricky if you are going to get lending. This client of mine promised me, oh, I have a lender. The lender's got it. Don't worry about it, as many people say. Fast forward uh, two months uh, later, and then it was time for closing. And for the week of closing, we always give a follow up email to all the different parties saying, hey, we have a closing on Friday. Want to make sure everybody's all set to go. And at that point, we got an email back saying, oh, the lender found out something about the building, which was something that we knew day one. But, you know, every lender has their own process of uh, doing their due diligence. And the lender said, we can't give a loan for this type of property. It's a non-conforming property and so on and so forth. And so at that point, my client was in a bad position. Long story short, we were able to find a solution for it, but. The moral of the story is you really want to make sure you find somebody that is very knowledgeable with that area, especially the building, so you don't have any problems that happen. You don't have to have that elevated stress level, but the buying process is stressful. You know that going forward and uh, you just want to make sure everything is as easy as possible.
1: So for the lending process, you would say that it's more like a partnership and you want to make sure that the person is, if you're buying in a new development, that they're familiar with new development rules Compared to you know some a house it's a very different
0: market correct yes so with condominiums there is a longer process compared to buying a house if you want to buy a house technically speaking you could probably get it done within five to ten days from start to close for a condominium you have to be approved by the association that is key You cannot close without getting that approval. And typically how the process starts is that you would have a interview with the association. There would be a packet uh, that you have to fill out. I know for a sale that we have going on actually today, that um, application packet was 42 pages. These are things that every condominium asks their uh, potential buyers to fill out because they wanna know who's coming into that building. Just like you want to be feeling safe about knowing who your neighbor is. It's shared living. And so they want to make sure that they've done their due diligence and they approve everybody that goes in.
1: So as a buyer, you're responsible for filling out the 42 pages if it is that
0: long. Absolutely.
1: And sometimes people get frustrated when a condo association is being very strict or following the rules. Why would you advise that that's actually a good thing when a board is being strict?
0: oh it's a great thing and the reason is is because you know that everybody has to go through the same process that you're going through there are some buildings right now airbnb is a big topic right and so some people love it because if they have investment property they're able to rent out their unit multiple times throughout the year however if you are a full-time resident you don't want somebody having a bachelor party at 11 at night, 12 (laughs) o'clock at night on a Wednesday evening. um, And you have kids that are trying to sleep. So you want to make sure that you have a strict building that enforces the rules that the association uh, covers.
1: I think you actually bring up a great point Uh, because Miami is, you know, a vacation town that also now people are moving to as full-time residences you know, they may not know that certain buildings are Airbnb buildings. How, as a first-time buyer, can you find out which buildings allow for short-term rentals or not and what is considered a short-term rental?
0: Yep. So uh, a short-term rental, at least in Most areas are gonna be units that could be rented for less than 30 days. When you're looking at different buildings, that should be one thing that you ask your real estate agent, what are the rental policies of that building? We have in South Florida, two seasons. We have our winter season and our summer season. Our winter season, we have a lot of people from the Northeast, from Canada, that come down and enjoy while it gets cold up there. Of course, it's nice and beautiful down here. And the same too in South America during the summer, When it is hot here, it's cold there. And so lots of times they want to come here. The reason why we talk about the different seasons is because that's when lots of people come here and they're looking for a six month rental, for example. And so when you have an investor or somebody that has a property as a second home, they're looking to rent it out for half the year and then use it for the other half of the year. So you want to find out what the rental policy is. There's some buildings that only allow you rent it once a year. And so that would not be... A possibility for that type of buyer. Also, there's some buildings that don't allow you to rent out for the first year or two years or three years of ownership. These are all very important questions to ask. And you want to make sure that you have a professional that is leading you and showing you in the right direction.
1: Moving, you know, especially to South Florida, you have both, you know, single family homes and a lot of condominiums. What are some specifics to think about when purchasing a condominium that maybe you don't have to consider when buying a single family home?
0: So when you're looking at the process, there's two different ways of going. You could go the condominium route and what you get with the condo is you have common areas, which are really nice. So it's kind of like an extension of your home if you prefer having these uh, common areas where you could do homework. Where you can have the kids play there's lots of buildings that offer a children's room which is really nice if you have young children get them out of the apartment a little bit part of that there's a fee that comes across which is the homeowners association fee or the hoa fee when you have a house most houses do not have an hoa fee so your carrying cost is less on that however with a house you have to make sure that you cover if there's a roof that needs repair If there's any landscaping that needs to be done, you're the owner, you're required to uh, take care of that. Lots of cities have guidelines on how long the grass could grow, how high the trees could go, and so on and so forth.
1: When you're purchasing a house, what are the different costs associated that somebody should try to think about when they're trying to figure out what budget they could afford?
0: Yes. So with a house, you have to have homeowners insurance, you have to have flood insurance, you have to have wind mitigation um, insurance so these are additional where in a condo all you need is homeowners insurance which protects the contents of inside the unit. Uh, outside the unit it's covered by the building and then that would be paid by your monthly HOA dues.
1: I think insurance has a been a big topic of course you know we live in South Florida and it's you know prone to hurricanes or the potential of hurricanes and hurricane damage. You know, insurance companies have not really been insuring down here. And I find for our buyers who have moved from the Northeast, they sort of have sticker shock when it comes to insuring a house. And so what are kind of different budget markers that people should think about when it comes to insurance? Because I believe there's only three companies that are insuring currently at the moment for single family homes.
0: So when it comes to insurance with a single family home, it makes a big difference if you're taking out a mortgage or if you're paying in cash. Technically speaking, if you're paying cash, you don't need to have any insurance on the house. Not something that we would advise, especially being in South Florida with having hurricane season every summer. However, that is something that some people do choose to take on. With the condominium, you know that the exterior of the building and the common areas are protected through your HOA. So you only really have to worry about your your personal items. So it just depends on what your personal preference is. If you want condo or a house. Typically at the end of the day, your expenses, your monthly expenses are going to be the Same. It just depends on how you allocate those funds.
1: Now, when thinking about purchasing, what are the benefits? A lot of times, you know, agents will say, if you buy all cash, you'll have a better deal. And as a seller, why would a seller want to take an all cash offer versus a financing offer?
0: In South Florida, since COVID, we had a crazy buying process. There was a time that the inventory was very low. And the demand was extremely high with everybody coming to South Florida, get away from the lockdowns across the nation. At that point, you had people that were wanting to purchase a house that were asking, let's say, a million dollars for a house. And they had 10 different buyers that were putting in offers for that house and putting at ask price or even above ask price. So now as a seller, you would look and say, "Okay, if I go into contract, I want to make sure that this deal gets done and it's finalized. I want to make sure we have as little amount of contingencies as possible. When you're putting in a cash offer, especially with the typical contract used in South Florida, which is the as-is contract, that is having only one contingency, and that contingency is an inspection contingency. During the inspection contingency, the buyer has X amount of days, which is negotiated. Typically, we advise our buyer between seven and 10 days. That's plenty of time to do an inspection. And if for some reason you needed additional time, you could always ask for an extension on that uh, inspection period. So during that inspection period, the buyer at any point for any reason, and you don't even need a reason, you could walk away from the deal. There's not you don't lose your deposit, the deposit gets uh, refunded fully. Now, if you do a mortgage on the property, so when you are doing the offer for purchase, uh, there will be a financing contingency. With that financing contingency, there's a multitude of ways of getting out of that deal. Now you have to be approved by the lender.
1: If you are a buyer and you are taking out a mortgage, but you do have a pre-approval letter, does that help show the seller how serious you are about purchasing
0: the property. Absolutely. Now, when we represent sellers and we receive offers that are contingent on financing, it's the first thing that we ask. So by attaching that pre-approval letter with your offer, you're speeding up um, the process and you're not allowing some other offer come in in between time. Because what happens sometimes, we'll receive an offer. It will say that they are looking to purchase the property and they're going to finance 70% of the property. So that means 30% they're going to be putting down in cash. We want to make sure, one, that they're able to afford that 30%. And by having a pre-approval letter, that letter indicates that the bank has already approved them and has seen that they do have sufficient funds to be able to put down the 30% or 25%, whatever the uh, the amount may be we get to the part of putting in offers now there are two types of offers that you could put in you could put in a cash offer which means that there is no financing contingency or you could put in an offer which is contingent on financing now let's start with the cash offer can you find or get a mortgage for a contract that you have a cash offer on absolutely all it means is When it comes time to closing, you're going to have the funds to close.
1: I think that's an important thing for people to know that you can get a mortgage after the fact. I think sometimes they feel like they need it ahead of time, but if you want to really push to make sure you don't lose the deal, that you can do an all cash closing and then finance it afterwards.
0: Oh, absolutely. And you don't even need to finance it afterwards. You can actually finance it on that purchase right there and then. So what we were doing a lot, especially during 21 and 22, when it was absolutely bananas here in South Florida, we were telling our clients, hey, how is your confidence with your lender? Is it a strong lender? Is it a lender that you do other business with? And if that was the case and we said, hey, do you have the funds to close with cash, even though you wanna finance some, do you have the funds to close in cash in case you need to? A cash offer is a stronger offer. So if you're able to put in a cash offer and you have the confidence if you want to finance that you're able to get that financing, we highly recommend putting in a cash offer. We represent lots of buyers and sellers. So we look at things from the seller's perspective lots of times to help our buyers out. If we have a listing and we received an offer that is a cash offer, we are more readily going to be pushing that offer towards our clients saying, hey, accept this offer. It's a cash offer. You don't have to worry about if there's an appraisal on the property because you have to remember properties went up 20, 30, 40% in South Florida in just a short amount of time. So you don't know you can have a a appraiser that isn't so in tune with that area and undervalues the property. And what happens is in that case, the buyer would have to come with the difference. So let's say, for example, you're buying a million dollar property and you expect to put down 20 percent. So that means you're financing eight hundred thousand. But let's say that the appraiser now Valued it at nine hundred thousand and not at the million dollars that you have a contract in for it. You have to come up with the difference there. And so that's very important for somebody that's looking at finance and doesn't have the additional funds in order to be able to put up that amount that they want to maybe do a cash offer where there is no financing contingency there.
1: Explain the difference some people feel that they'll get a better deal if they don't have an agent and they see a listing for a property and they want to go direct to the listing agent. So that means they don't have a buyer's agent representing them. Can you get a better deal that way?
0: So sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. It really does depend on the deal. Uh, One thing that we've learned over the years is there are new two deals that are alike. Every transaction is completely different. For most real estate agents, they have listing agreements on the properties that they are showing. And in that listing agreement, it states the amount of commission that both real estate agents would receive. It also states how much uh, the commission would be if only one real estate agent is involved in that deal. So lots of times a buyer may say, hey, I'm gonna go to the listing agent, I'm gonna go direct, and I'm gonna work out a deal because I'm able to save money on that additional commission. The problem with that thought process is this. You may not be dealing with an ethical real estate agent. There's and there's many
1: of them and, right here.
0: <laughs> and, and what could happen is they're not looking out for your best interests. So on one end, you might think that you're saving $30,000, let's say, you know, if it was a million dollar purchase. So 3% would be 30000 But at the end of the day, if you actually had a real estate agent that was representing you, they could have saved you $50,000 by taking some money off where the inspection period was by doing a better deal on the negotiating of the purchase price. So there's lots of ways that the real estate agent that is having your best interest at heart is able to save you money. And when somebody just goes after the listing agent, they forget. You may buy it, you may not buy it, but that listing agent is always going to have the seller's uh, best interests at heart. And the reason is because that is who their client is. Yes, of course, when you come in and you say that you'll use them as their real estate agent, do they have the responsibility of treating you fairly and honestly? Of course, but we can't guarantee you that will happen. So we always recommend don't go to the listing agent unless you completely know that real estate agent and you trust them. If you don't know them at all, you don't have a relationship with them at all, there's no reason for you to expect it, that they're going to deal with you in the same way that they would deal with their family.
1: I think you bring up a great point that you should only bypass having your own broker's agent if you have a relationship with the listing agent because I think it's an old school mentality and we've covered it on another episode that you really want to have your own representation and we get this a lot especially even with some off-market deals you know we have a lot of new builds that we may know the developer we know the owner of the homes and they even sometimes want to sell the house you know off-market but we've had many conversations saying you can of course do that but if you have a buyer's agent walking into that house and you are the owner, you cannot have real honest conversations with one another, that you need to have representation, somebody you know, looking out for your best interest because we do this day in and day out. We know all the innuendos that maybe an owner may not know, even though they can be very smart, of course, but they may be leaving money actually on the table by operating that way.
0: Another thing is As real estate agents, we're looking for issues with the property. At least the good ones are, you know, the, the 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 ones that aren't that great. They just want the deal to be done because they need to pay their bills uh, for the good real estate agents. They realize that we, we don't work with people just for one transaction. We're looking for a lifetime of transactions with that person. So when I walk through a house or a condo, I'm looking at the ceilings. I'm looking at the air vents. I'm looking to see where possible mold is. I'm looking to see where there's foundation cracks. I'm looking to see if somebody's been using the Property for a long time, or it's been vacant for years. When you're dealing with a listing agent directly, they're not looking for that.
1: Right. they're not going to be transparent about that either, most likely. Another question. So, if you are a first time buyer, how do you even choose a real estate agent? How do you even know who you want to work with?
0: So, what I would do is I would look at the area that you're wanting to purchase a property. Let's say it's Aventura, for example. I would look for a couple of things. One, I would see how many transactions the real estate agent has done. If a real estate agent hasn't done many transactions, they've done one transaction, two transactions in the past year, I wouldn't use that person. I don't care if they did 100 million in that one transaction things could slip by, they may not be as sharp, they may not know as many properties. So I think doing the more transactions is more important. So that person might know more information about a certain property than somebody that might have done more sales volume, for example. The second thing that I would look at is what is their ratings? I would Google the real estate agent and I would see what the ratings are for that real estate agent. I would see what the feedback is. All real estate agents have client feedback. You know, when we work with a lot of clients, we ask at the end of a transaction, hey, if you're happy with the work that we did, if you don't mind filling out this link right here, it goes to Google, it just lets everybody know about the service that we gave to you. If you don't find a lot of feedback from uh, from their clients, there's probably a reason, you know, why. So those are the two main things I would Look for. I would look for as many transactions as possible as well as the good ratings.
1: And I think one other thing to add is if the agent also lives in the area, is another great um, testimony for that neighborhood. So even, you know, they could have been living somewhere else and having more transactions in another area, but if they recently moved and lived there a few years and now they're starting to build up their own business in the neighborhood in which they live, that's another great way to really learn about the area as well.
0: Absolutely.
1: So we hope that this was some helpful information for first-time buyers about the buying process, and we hope to see you soon.
0: Absolutely, if you have any questions, you can always uh, DM us at Zypher Burger Team on Instagram, or email us at Zypher Team at Corcoran.com.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Move to Miami Real Estate Lifestyle Family. Subscribe to our podcast at Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast.